It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. Coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kay Wenigal and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Michael Steindl and Nat Bucknell. Hello Kay and um, I have to say hello for Nat because uh, she doesn't have a working mic. The Federal Government has released its 2019 budget and judging by the handouts, it looks like it's gearing up for an election. To help us decipher what the budget means to our environment, we're joined today by Jonathan Moylan from Greenpeace Australia Pacific and Matt Rose, economist at the Australian Conservation Foundation. Welcome, Jonathan and Matt, and thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us, Kate. Now, first question for you. Greenpeace Australia Pacific is well known for its fight in the whales in the Antarctic, but it does a lot more than that. And like BZE, it creates solutions to stop the destruction of the environment. So can you tell us what other areas you're involved in currently? Sure. So since the early 1970s, Greenpeace uh, globally has been bearing witness to environmental destruction around the world. But what we've found um, in the last 20 years is that the damage being done to the climate by burning fossil fuels, coal, oil and gas that your listeners will be well aware of um, poses really um, an existential threat to all of the incredible victories that we've won over our 40-year history. Um, We continue to uh, take action to protect the Great Barrier Reef, uh, to protect the Great Australian Bight from um, offshore uh, oil and uh, um, drilling, and to um, end the use of single-use plastic. And around the world, we take action to protect ancient rainforests in Indonesia, the Congo and the Amazon, and to protect the Arctic uh, from um, extreme offshore drilling. Mm, that's a big one, isn't it? Mm. And Matt, what, it about, what about you? What's the current focus of ACF? Uh, so ACF, as most of your listeners will probably know, has been in, in Australia for over 50 years. And, and coal and, and clean energy are a, and then climate, obviously, are a focus of ours as well. So we work to help try and grow the renewable energy sector through good government policy, help uh, good government policy move away from coal. So that's us in the climate space, but we also obviously have um, nature programs. We have an economic program as well and an organising program that works um, in communities to empower communities to take action uh, to address the climate and nature crisis in Australia. Matt, um, just an aside, does the ACF yet use the meme climate emergency. I know they've shied away from that for many years. I'd have to double check. I, I, I don't think it's something we use We use that often, but, you know, we have our own way of talking about these issues that um, try and bring people in, into the conversation. And um, yeah, I think climate emergency is one way of doing it. 
but I think mm. I think we use other language. I'm not 100% yeah, sure on that. Yeah, I know there's been strong debate on that. Um, what about Jonathan Greenpeace? Do you call it a climate emergency or do you use different terminology? Well, the critical thing for us is to make sure that we keep coal, oil and gas uh, in the ground and uh, that, that does involve bringing people into the conversation. And, and one of the things that we've found recently and you're going to see increasingly more of globally and around the world is a focus on um, on air quality and as we know from for example some of the incredible work that Lockheed Gate has been doing over the years sometimes to keep fossil fuels in the ground at the at the scale that we need in terms of the limited time we have to face the crisis uh, can involve not even bringing climate change into the conversation at all mm-hmm. so a- it really depends on your audience there was a recent presentation from Ian Dunlop where his strong message was that we are now in a climate emergency, a genuine existential emergency, he called it, and we have no time left to do anything but fix the environment before our planet becomes uninhabitable. Given his comments, how do you see the, the budget working in terms of renewables? Well, the budget is a statement of values from um, a government and um, even more so in the context of a looming federal election. Uh, it's a form of love letter to the nation. But what uh, this <laughs> you romantic. Um, government has... <laughs> well, what, what this government has done in its, um, its budget is essentially send a message to everybody who, who cares about clean air and water, who cares about renewable energy and um, acting on climate change with the urgency that we need to meet 1.5 degrees, is that they're not concerned um, about those votes at all, we've seen, um, and I think um, this is Matt's analysis, a 43% reduction in the um, in the environment uh, budget over a nine-year period, $169 million um, this financial year alone, a, a slashing of the climate uh, budget by almost half, um, declining even further over the forward estimates to, from $3 billion down to $1.2 billion. Um, dollars and, uh, you know, a, a phase-out of the renewable energy target. So it, it really is a disaster for, um, for climate action. And even, even though we're going to continue to see the rollout of renewable energy as cost continues to plummet, if we are going to meet the, the strict ecological deadlines um, to meet the 1.5-degree target, we need an escalation, not a pairing back of investment in clean energy. Mm, so not to make light of it, it's more of a Dear John letter than a love letter. Matt, what about ACF's view of it? I think Jonathan just gave a very good s- summation. It's um, it's a disgraceful uh, budget from a disgraceful government on climate, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> a government that's, that's ch- chosen to basically ignore what's going on in our environment and ignore scientists and ignore community who want climate addressed um they have i mean they have a track record you know we know how they came to office um arguing against a price on carbon and, a, and a, the carbon package in total um and they continue that activity um unfortunately the the co- the liberal national coalition is this is politics for them unfortunately mm. um it's not about what's best for the environment, what's best for the community. They're just starkly looking at the politics for them, I think, and the politics for them says uh, both internally and externally, internally we can't have another fight on climate because it, it 
rips the party apart. Um, and externally, they obviously don't think there's a need to move on climate and it's not what the community is prioritising in certain sections. And, and perhaps they've done analysis that says the certain sections are the ones they need to vote for them to win an election. Yeah, I've heard the word treason is used in, in relation to their behaviour and you have to ask um, how far can they go before it starts to look like that. What's happening in the Environment Department budget? So we know before this budget that there's been a major cut across the Environment Department since the government were elected. We've seen major staff cuts. 60 staff were cut in this budget in the Biodiversity Conservation Division, which looks after threatened species. And uh, it looks like in this budget, although we haven't finished our analysis, that there's probably more staff cuts to come in the Environment Mm. Department. If you slash programs that invest in the environment, unfortunately it gives governments an excuse to say, well, we need less people to look after those programs, Mm -hmm. even though those programs are things like funding research for threatened species, helping um, put threatened species on just on on endangered species lists so they're looked at for research funding. So those kind of things have been dramatically slashed in this budget, but um, across the this government's record on the environment isn't great. They've slashed research and into climate. You know, we know what they've done with, tried to do with ARENA and the CEFC. So, you know, the, the, their record um, unfortunately speaks for itself. And if, just, I, if I can just add uh, yeah, to on. that, we know that under existing staffing allocations in the Environment Department, they simply don't have the resources to do proper environmental assessment and compliance. There's essentially a system of, of self-assessment and self-regulation of um, multinational mining companies. And to to gut it further, I, I um, we we've heard anecdotally that, um, that people have been asked to organise their own redundancies. But I simply don't know how on earth the environment department is going to be able to um, cope with these these huge cuts. And Australia actually has one of the worst records internationally on. Um, extinction of species and so now we're just saying well we won't even monitor it so we don't know I guess that's right and you know Queensland has been um, become one of the the world's largest environmental um, deforestation hotspots we hope that that will be somewhat remediated by the Queensland government's um, actions to restore um, the native vegetation protections to some extent um, just last week, which was an extraordinary victory for the tens of thousands of people who took action on that issue. Mm. And I think it's a demonstration, really, that, you know, you can achieve um, change through regulation that can have an an outsized um, impact without having to uh, take some of these measures like directly buying up properties in Great Barrier Reef catchments and so forth. Yep. Yeah, so just to summarise, the climate spending has been halved, just about, so gone down to $1.6 dropping about $1.2 by 2020. You mentioned the 43% reduction in the Environment Department's budget, and the Climate Change Authority has also had its budget slashed, I think. I hadn't seen that, but I'm I'm not surprised. But I will have a look at that. Yeah, <laughs> it is a bit surprising because I think Alan Finkel is an ex-officio member there. I mean, the government has been a um, a real um, has been trying to get rid of the climate change authority uh, for some time. I think 
it's disappointing in a lot of ways that you have someone with the scientific stature of um, Alan Spinkle who is willing to give political recommendations and what we'd, we would really um, expect to see is for scientists to give fearless independent advice and leave the politics. Mm. Absolutely. But he seems to be a puppet of the Liberal Party and especially um, Josh Frydenberg. Even when he did give a, a political one that was amenable to Josh, Josh couldn't get it through and he was still gutted by Abbott and Co, wasn't he? With mm. the, um, well, Dr Finkel's in a really invidious position. Yep. I wouldn't want to be in it. No. Um, but I think, we, you know, we expect scientists to, um, to be scientists and politicians to be politicians. Yeah. To, so to put it in perspective, and, and as you were saying before, Jonathan, since 2013, the overall budget for everything has expanded by 21.7%, but environmental funding has been reduced by 38%. That is a serious indictment on this government, isn't it? And it's a, it's, it's a reminder to all of us that the government is really um, playing to the constituencies that it thinks it needs to win the next election. Um, Unfortunately, people, you know, like you or me, the government has decided, um, assumed that we're never going to vote for them anyway. And so mm. the kinds of concerns that um, that we have are uh, not not necessary that they, the government can rip money out of those parts of the budget in order to spend in, the, um, in areas like corporate tax cuts where it thinks it can um, gain political favour. But what, what I think that means to us is that we all need to get a lot better at speaking outside of our bubbles, at speaking mm. uh, to our family and friends who might have different values, who might vote in, in many different ways, and um, having those conversations about climate change with them, yeah. encouraging them to, to raise their concerns with politicians. Because we know, you know, in places like um, Wentworth, in places like Warringah, in Tony Abbott's uh, electorate, and Josh Frydenberg, and and Craig Kelly's electorate, there is very strong support, even among coalition voters, for action on climate change and renewable mm. energy. Jonathan, and the, um, the, the talk we referenced before of Ian Dunlop was was called Speaking to Elites, and Ian Dunlop is a former head of the Coal Association. Mm. Um, we've got heaps more questions. Very quickly, can we just cover the RET that, that's um, being dropped at 2020? What's the implication to that, please? Now, that's a, a really good question. So the RET will phase out in, in 2020. Um, if you've got a project up that's met the requirements, you'll still get your the, the payments until 2030. So it kind of runs until 2030. Um, but, but the RET's been a really important device for uh, supercharging renewable energy alongside a, f- a few other things like the CFC and ARENA in Australia. Um, so, you know, to take something out like that, um, even though renewable energy is being built quite quickly, um, the um, the implications are probably that there'll be a slowing in the growth of renewable energy because you know there's less incentive to build it essentially. Um, so that's that's a really worrying um, thing that the government's decided that um, they don't need to um, incentivize more renewable energy into the system and renewable energy um, is the one thing that's going really well in climate policy in australia at the Mm. moment and not because of the government in spite of the government yeah in spite of the government absolutely so removing the ret you know takes away and a really important part of of how we're actually addressing some parts of Mm. of climate pollution in australia and late late yesterday afternoon uh, josh frydenberg 
defended very aggressively the government's uh, record on renewable energy, noting there'd been a 33% increase in renewable energy um, in Australia, which is true despite um, the actions of the government mm. and pointing to a drop in investment in the last year of the Labor government. But what's really important to remember is that um, firstly, there was a drop in demand due to Australians' fears about energy demand in that year, but also um, there was a drop in confidence because of the uncertainty surrounding the abolition of the carbon tax, and confidence is really critical mm. when it comes to new investment in renewable energy. That's right, and there was a pent-up demand because of that. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Jonathan from Greenpeace and Matt from ACF about the federal government's latest budget and the implication implications for the environment. So getting on to um, climate mitigation and adaptation, we know that the government's just thrown, what is it, $500 million towards the Great Barrier Reef, which is very belated and probably too late. What are the other... Uh, are there any other adaptation or mitigation packages that they've provided? Uh, no. Um, unsurprisingly, there's nothing else in this budget along those lines. Um, in fact, um, this government's cl cut climate research since they've come to office. The very successful uh, National Climate Change Adaptation Facility, which was a, a research facility, has now been completely defunded unfortunately. And so you're, you're seeing a real drop-off now. I guess it's taken a while for cuts to flow through the system, but um, institutions like that facility are now no longer exist. And so we're actually heading into a little a research crisis as well on these issues. We know we can't, obviously, we haven't met uh, many of the, the targets we would like to have met in abating carbon emissions. So a very important part of it is working out how we actually adapt our world and, and our planet to these issues. And so that requires some pretty um, far-reaching research that the government has now completely defunded. So, and, and just briefly on the, on the Great Barrier Reef uh, money, um, as, as we know, you know, and there's nothing wrong with putting money towards water quality, although um, if, if the uh, Great Barrier Reef is dying and, and bleaching with 49% loss in the last two years due to successive uh, extreme heat events. There was a very interesting piece by Michael West, which I'd commend to you, which looks at the, the fact that that money is actually being dispersed through the Great Barrier Reef Foundation, which is actually, it has a, a Peabody board member on, mm. on its board, and it's funded very extensively by fossil fuel interests to essentially greenwash and distract from the primary driver of damage to the Great Barrier Reef, which, as we know, is climate change driven by uh, burning fossil fuels. Yep. And what was that reference, Jonathan? Michael West, did you say? Yeah. Michael West, that's right. Yeah, from... Financial journalist, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and and the five hundred billion or half, half sorry five hundred million half a billion. Um, someone said it's like ordering a small side salad when you're hopping into a great fatty meal of chips and pies and things. You're, you're still going to destroy the reef, and the government is actively still trying to find ways to give it only a billion dollars to continue destroying it. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, a, that's an analogy. Yeah, Matt. Um, on your topic of of decline of environmental indicators, ACF submission to Treasury said that. Almost every environmental indicator is in decline. Um, 
what an indictment. So, so just to put that into context, Matt, you used to work for a treasury yourself, didn't you? you I were did. You an economist mm-hmm. and yeah. you have a very good, good understanding of what goes on in treasury. So just a brief summary, that, Matt. Um, so environmental decline. So if you, um, I mean, you can think about it in your um, day-to-day life, in, in the way you move around and in the things you enjoy. Um, and so, you know, deforest, deforestation, water quality, air quality, all these things that are dramatically impacted um, by climate change are the kind of things that are accelerating. Um, you meant, We were talking before about endangered species and threatened mm-hmm. species. More and more of them are being added to, to um, threatened species status. So all those indicators, um, which unfortunately don't show up anywhere in, in federal budget papers... They're not. They're not seen as as priorities. They're they're the kind of indicators that it would be great if the treasurer got up and and spoke about in his speech, amongst all other 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 issues that are also important to people. Um, but you know, the environment is is key to the quality of life for Australians, and for it not to appear anywhere in the budget papers um, in any meaningful way is is disgraceful. It is disgraceful, and we'll get on to what Labor's stance is on that in a minute. The Treasurer said in the budget, and I quote, all energy sources and technologies should support themselves without taxpayer subsidies. The current subsidy scheme will be phased out from 2020. So given that subsidies are all going to be phased mm-hmm. out, what, how does the fossil fuel subsidy work? Well, so I think in that speech he was referring to uh, the renewable energy target, unfortunately. He wasn't referring to the fuel tax credit scheme because there's broad... um, Unfortunately, there's agreement across the political aisle between Labor and Liberal that the fuel tax credit scheme isn't a subsidy. Oh. Yeah. So (laughs) in my mind, and I think in most... If if I try and break it down for you quickly, the the fuel tax credit scheme gives... A, a big part of the economy, but um, miners and coal miners particularly mm. get a, a large chunk. It gives them a dis- it gives them a tax discount. One billion dollars at least. Yeah, mm. so coal mm. miners get a billion dollars a year tax discount on their fuel every it's year. Not subsidy though. No, but it's not a subsidy. So we'd like to see if people talk about that all the time: a level playing field, technology ag- agnostic, agnostic, all that stuff. So if if we're going to be genuine about that, we need to deal with the fossil fuel subsidies mm. in the system. I've seen a figure. And, that and the, gone, John. the internationally agreed uh, definition of a subsidy and the definition certainly used by the International Monetary Fund, which is you know not known for being a flag waving uh, socialist organisation, um, is is anything which lowers the cost of uh, fuel below its efficient price. So that's the the cost. Um, including any externalities. Obviously, mm. renewable energy doesn't have an impact on the air that we breathe or the greenhouse uh, levels in the atmosphere. Coal does. And, um, you know, by any fair measure of the extent to which the coal industry is subsidised, it's, it's far higher, in fact, than um, simply mm. the fuel tax. Uh, credit and the exploration incentives that the government gives. And we're not even counting those externalities at the moment, but even mm. without that, the $30 billion fossil fuels tax is about nine times the total environment budget. Um, the Treasurer said the uh, adoption of the Federal Government's National Energy Guarantee would save the average household $400 a year in its electricity bills by 2020, I think it was. That's a bit of sleight of hand, isn't it? 
Well, I, no one's seen that work. So then apparently the Energy Security Board, the, the people charged with coming up with the NEG, um, have thrown that number out there, but but no one's seen that work. And, and we know that renewable energy is good for the environment. Mm. It also lowers energy prices because the energy is essentially the free. Slate, the slate of hand is most of it is going to happen before the NEG comes in 2020 anyway. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So... Do you know anything about Labor's response to this budget? So uh, Bill Shorten stood up last night and did the traditional budget reply speech. Um, he just confirmed what we already know, that Labor's committed to 50% renewables by 2030, they want a 45% cut in emissions by 2030 and zero net pollution by 2050. But other than that, there wasn't any detail on anything about climate research, incentives to drive renewable energy to move Australia away from coal. Nothing like that, unfortunately. Very light on the detail. Hmm. Or not going ahead with Adani too, or reviewing hmm. Adani, yeah. And if I can add that I, um, I didn't actually manage to read yet um, the, the Greens budget in reply speech, but um, all across the political spectrum, actually, the silence on the massive cuts to action on climate change has really been deafening, deafening. and we're in hmm. desperate need of some... Um, some political champions on this. Mark Butler has made some some fairly positive um, comments, but really those those concerns need to be um, amplified by citizens, by political leaders, by people all across the political spectrum, and uh, by business who will, of course, be impacted by act, uh, by a failure to act on climate change. Mm. And at the moment, all we've been discussing is a budget pertaining to electricity. We're not even looking at other areas of climate change issues, are we? No, unfortunately not. And, and, and the focus is on electricity because of this the obsession with the hip pocket, which is totally understandable. But, yeah, we've got massive issues in transport and agriculture, just to name a couple of sectors that we also need to address, um, not just the electricity emissions. Yeah. And the momentum around the world, if you look at um, places like you know, Germany and Norway, where they're looking, and, and companies like Volvo who are looking to phase out the production of internal combustion engines, it is inevitable that that is going to happen here in Australia. And if we have the um, initiative to seize those first mover advantages, um, we can really see a pickup in advanced manufacturing here in Australia as jobs continue to decline in, in coal mining and, and other fossil fuel production. Okay, gentlemen, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Jonathan Moylan and Matt Rose. Um, you've been listening to the BZD Show, brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Beyond Zero Emissions and recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to the bzd.org.au and click on the podcast. If you enjoy the program, you can help us by donating to cover the costs of airtime keep us on the air, go to the BZD site and click the donate button. And thanks again, Jonathan and Matt. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks Nat, for panelling right in the background. Cheers, everyone. See you next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast. 
produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.